All right. Good morning. Thank you, everybody, teaching our children. There's nothing more important going on than teaching our children. So, in fact, why don't we pray for them right now? We pray for them this morning. We're just going to pray for them again. Lord, we pray for these kids. Uh, God, every one of them, the ones that are, that are in here, the ones that are, uh, that are in classrooms, God, for their teachers. Lord, we just we commit our, our kids to you. And, and God, we pray that you will take them, that you will uh, use them for your name's sake, for your glory. And um, God, we are, um, we're thankful for all the things that you've blessed us with and help us be good stewards of them. Uh, Holy Spirit, we invite you. I pray that you will speak to us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, thank you so much uh, for being here. I know that y'all were like cooped into your house for days, and you were like, you know what, I'm so bored, I'll go hear Jared preach. But I'll take, I'll take what I can get. I'll take what I can get. We've been walking through 1 Peter for like four weeks. Uh, today is no different. I want to back up to a verse that I covered briefly last week, and, and we'll, we'll take that, okay? So we're walking through First Peter. That's in the New Testament, and if you know us, you know that we didn't expect you to know that, okay? Nobody expects you to be a Bible scholar. We don't expect you to be perfect. In fact, if you're perfect, uh, then there was no reason for Jesus to die. You don't need any of this because uh, you have no sins to atone for. Uh, but if you are somewhere between a train wreck and like I'm, I think I'm doing okay. Any of those things like this, th- this is you. So uh, the Bible's in two sections. There's an Old Testament and a New Testament. The Old Testament is the the story of God creating the world and choosing a people to be a kingdom of priests. We're going to talk about that and promising that through this uh, kingdom of priests, one day a Messiah would come to save the entire world. And uh, when Jesus comes, he is that Messiah, the Savior, the Christ. That's where everything changes. Like your calendar changes from uh, B.C. to A.D., and the Bible changes from Old Testament to New Testament, okay? Uh, so we are in First Peter. That's in the New Testament towards the end. First Peter was written by a man named See, you're already doing it. You're already there. Uh, it was written by Peter, and it's called First Peter because later he has another book called You Guys Are Scholars. It's like we're, we're in graduate-level classes right now. First uh, Peter chapter 2, verse 9. Peter is speaking to a mixed group of people. And for, uh, for the Jews, despite whatever Whoopi Goldberg says, they are a different race, okay? Uh, they, are, they are different from everyone. They see themselves as a very unique, very distinct race. And everyone outside of their community, the Jewish community. Uh, you will hear me as I speak in old, about the Old Testament, you will hear me refer to them as the Israelites or the Hebrews, okay? Israelites, Hebrews, Jews, it's all the same thing, okay? All, it's, it's all the same people. Uh, everyone outside of their Jewish kingdom, they refer to as Gentiles, okay? Now, Peter was speaking to Jews and Gentiles which for us, because almost all of you are Gentile, is you're not Jewish. We have some in here who are, 
and you're still Jewish, but because you believe that you found the Messiah, you're a Messianic Jew. Does that ever confuse anybody? I just Maybe this will help you out, okay? Uh, because the, the Jew, Judaism is, is our same Bible, but only the first part, the Old Testament. And so uh, they are awaiting the Messiah. Now, the ones who are Jews, because Jews are not Jew by religion, that's you're born in that. That's, that's DNA, okay? Uh, if they believe that Jesus is that promised Messiah, they are called a Messianic Jew. And so you'll see like this scarlet uh, or, or, or blue thread that they wear and all their stuff, and that means I've found the Messiah. So are they Christians? Yes. Are they Jews? Yes. We call them Messianic Jews. I didn't intend to say that, but some of you are like, oh, okay. He was speaking to a mixed, a mixed race of people. So for, for the Jews, this was very new. This was very new. Because Jesus proposes basically that uh, now, now everything is clean. The Jews were unclean for them. You can't marry into them. You can't go into their home and eat, right? There were, there were all these things. And Jesus is like, no, you don't get it. He begins to accept Gentiles. Women get to, to, to speak now. Like, I mean, he's just going crazy. Peter is speaking to Jews and Gentiles. Be my third time to say that. I'm going to tell you why in just a moment. Let's read it. 1 Peter 2.9. All the scriptures on the screen. If you don't have a, a Bible with you, you can follow along. If you don't have a Bible, we have them in the foyer. Please take one. It's a gift. We would love for you to take a Bible. All we ask is that you read it. Put your notes down here and just go fact check me. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So he is kind of quoting scripture when he says this, when he says you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, because this is what God told the Israelites way back in Exodus through Moses. He said, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. Because Jesus uh, uh, gathered the Israelites, the Hebrews, and his goal for them was that they become priests to the rest of the world. Now, if you know any of the story, they blew it, which I'm not throwing shade. We've blown it too, okay? But they blew it big time. And what ended up happening was Israelite was sectioned into 12 different tribes. And one tribe was selected. It was literally like a Colonel William Travis line in the sand at the Alamo, like whoever wants to serve the Lord, come over here. And one tribe, the tribe of Levi, stepped across the line. And so God made them priests to the other 11 tribes. But that was only because of their sin and their failure that it went down that way. The original goal, purpose, was for them to be priests to the rest of the world. Okay? Now, go forward in time to the Messiah, to Jesus coming, and he has accepted people. He has covered them by his blood, and so much in the way that happened in Exodus, uh, in, in the Exodus, 
People were covered by the blood. There were sacrifices that were made, and, and, and God's people were chosen. They were covered by blood. A destroyer angel passed over them. There's this whole thing, but they were covered, and they were his chosen people. That's how you knew uh, that you were one of God's chosen is because you were covered by the blood. Well, Jesus came, and he sacrificed himself. He bled for us. And so if you receive that blood as a covering over your life, you are now part of the chosen people, the royal priesthood. All right? So for Peter to say this would have been extremely controversial. Extremely but he's grafting everyone in. You're like, I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I'm still not sure. L- look at verse 10. If we can put verse 10 back up there. He says, once you were not a people. He's not talking to the Jews on this. But now you are God's people. The Jews would have been like, we were always a people. We were always God's people. Who is he talking to? He's talking to believers. He said, once you had nothing in common. And I would say that over this room. And listen, you may not be a Christian in here. And let me tell you, if you're not a Christian here, I've got something to say to you. We love you. You do not have to be a Christian to be my friend. With my dying breath, I will try to convert you. But I will love you no matter what, okay? Uh, So... If you are a believer in this place, you've got to understand that this is your unifying thing. This is what makes you a people. You are a people. We are a a local chapter of a a larger people, and we have brothers and sisters all over the world. You guys send 100% of what what we give to missions, go straight to where it goes. We have pictures of uh, where it goes to and the kids that you are literally housing and feeding in an orphanage in India and and their families are being ministered to. 100% of it goes straight to them and the ones who are on the ground working with them. Uh, We've got photos behind the coffee bar. I I actually got to go and take those pictures myself. But uh, you are a people. You are part of a chosen kingdom. You are are a, a priest. Did you know that when you came in here today, (laughs) that you were a priest? What about when people were driving too fast on the ice? How was your priestliness? (laughs) Did you say good things? I I saw some of you. I saw hand movements. I just assumed you were doing that. Like, I didn't know (laughs) what you were doing, but I always assumed the best about you. So Peter says, you are, you are a, a collection of people who are unified. And, and that's what I would say to you. Uh, I, I would say 1 Peter 2.9 over you. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession. Kind of funny that he uses that in there. Of course, that's our translation in English, but you are a chosen race. You are something different. We read last year that Paul was writing to the church and he told them, he said, you're acting like mere humans. You are something completely different. We are unified in one thing. And, and, and there is not, uh, there is nothing that separates us from being that. Understand that. Jesus told us that long ago in the Bible. He said, do not call anything unclean that I have made clean. And so you may come from a different culture. You may be a different color, but you are my brother and sister, and we are the same race of Christian. We are the same. And here's what I say, come as you are. And we always have said that, but what we mean is come as you are as long as you act like me when you get there. It's okay. You can come and you can have your culture. Now, sin is off the table. We're going to try to live for the Lord, but you are 
unified by this. Many of you in here are my friends, and I care deeply for you, and we have nothing in common except for the gospel, and so we have everything in common. Our life's purpose is the same. Now, Exodus 19, 3 through 6, I told you I was going to go back and explain just a little bit of this. We're jumping into the Old Testament. This is literally the second book in the Bible, okay? Exodus 19, 3 through 6, Moses went up the mountain to God. The mountain that he's on, by the way, is the mountain that Jerusalem sits on today. And the Lord called to him from the mountain, this is what you must say to the house of Jacob and explain to the Israelites You have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you will carefully listen to me and keep my covenant, you will be my own possession out of of all the peoples, although the whole earth is mine, and you will be my kingdom of priests and my holy nation. These are the words you are to say to the Israelites. Do you see the commonalities in those passages? Peter's kind of quoting something that was very dear, like they held that sort of a badge of honor. We are God's chosen people. And now Peter's just telling that to Gentiles? Like I said, it would have been extremely controversial, and this is where they were uh, getting it from. The Jews thought this was specifically and uniquely for them. Uh, It's outrageous for a a Gentile to be told this. Uh, So how are we sure? Well, I already read you verse 10 and how we know that this would have been to Gentiles. But also, 1 Peter 2, uh, I'm sorry, 1 Peter 1.14 on the computer. I'm skipping one verse. He says, earlier we read, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance. The Jews were taught the gospel uh, or, or the coming gospel. They were taught the Old Testament from birth. So for him to say, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance, the Jews would have not formerly been ignorant because as soon as they could walk and talk, they would have learned the, the Torah, the Tanakh, your Old Testament. There was not a point when they were conscious, when they were cognitively capable, that they didn't know the Old Testament. So we know, and I'm, I'm making this point, I'm driving this home, and you're like, we don't care. But you do care because this is you. And, and what, what I'm telling you, what is significant, is the Bible has said because you are a believer, you are now part of a, 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 uh, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You're in the priesthood. And that changes everything. Here's why we view that as a bad thing, is you don't want to be a priest. And, and I, I get that because in a lot of ways I don't either. I know that sounds bad. Hang on. This is not, I'm not about to give you a resignation, okay? But in a lot of ways I don't either. We view the priesthood as a bad thing, and that's for somebody different, and it just takes a special kind of character to do that. It's not necessarily wrong based upon what you've seen. Uh, But what you've seen is possibly not what you're called to do. You are a royal priesthood. You're a priest. You have no idea the platform that you get to speak from 
on a daily basis. Lane and I, Lane's my wife in case anybody doesn't know. We moved to Ranger and God miraculously and specifically told us to come to Ranger. I have 10 points of confirmation because I'm very hard-headed. If you've been to Pizza with Pastor, you know and you've sat there and listened and gone, man, you're an idiot and your wife is really sharp uh, because God kept saying, come to Ranger, come to Ranger, come to Ranger, and I was like, yeah, but no. And we wanted to do something different. And we wanted to empower you to be priest. I'm, I'm going to tell you this. It may pique your interest. It may not. But I have the microphone. Churches you grew up with can't sustain much longer. Um, when we moved here, this is pre-COVID statistics. Pre-COVID. 85% of churches in the United States. Now, we've got three other continents where the church is just blowing up, so this is not doom and gloom. But in America, 85% of churches are, are, are dying, are on the decline. Of the 15% that are, are growing, 85% of their growth just comes from stealing other people's church members. And only 15, so only 15% of the churches in America are growing, and only 15% of that growth is from making converts. The rest is just from... I'm going to have a cooler worship team than you. And everybody floods over there. So we didn't want to do that. And we wanted people who don't come to church to come to church. And a lot of you know exactly what I'm talking about because you're like, listen, I, you know, I've, I've believed in God for a while, but I'm not exactly a churchgoer. And this is kind of your first time to ever go consistently to a place and say, this is my church. That's my pastor. I know him. We have conversations. And you know, you do this to me as we pass on the street. Uh, it, that, that's like new. But how? How do you do that? How does someone come to church who doesn't want to come to church? Because we know that people don't want to come to church because they're not <laughs> going to church, right? Uh, so how do you do that? And, and I, I was convinced, and I still am, that that only happens one way. Because somebody that you know, love, trust, respect, invited you. That's it. You do all the gimmicks and all the neat things in the world, and we do, we do a lot of community involvement stuff. You, you know that because I've worked you like rented mules. But we, we do all those things, but that just gives you an excuse to invite somebody that you've been working on for a long time because we believe that the gospel is shared through love, not necessarily through paid promotions. And so you grew up with this version of faith where there was a church. And I'm not, listen, I, I don't want to speak in a spirit of arrogance. I want to tell you why we're doing what we're doing, okay? This is not at all saying other people are doing it wrong. They're not. We were called to do something different. Just because it's different doesn't mean, you're wearing a different shirt than me today. Doesn't mean your shirt is bad, okay? It's just what I chose, and I have the microphone. So If you grew up in small town Texas, you know that there's two or three churches that are kind of, you know, when you were growing up, these, are, these were the ones that had it going on, they had something there, and, and, and they had 100 people, 200 people, 300 people, and a staff of 15. And, and those churches are declining, and they're almost all, listen, I'm treading on thin ice, I love you, they're almost all senior citizens, 
and that means that they have a shelf life. There's that thin ice, okay? And, and, and as, as, as people go away and as funds go away, you, you can't pay 15 full-time employees. And so we came and we're like, we're going to do something a little different. And you were like, ah, I see, you came to put me to work. Yes, it's exactly what we came to do. And you as volunteers have done this. I mean, Dusty, Dusty is full-time now, and we pay uh, uh, two other people insulting wages to do one or two days of work a week. Insulting wages. You do everything. And, and, and the reason that's not important is not for money. I'm not worried about running out of money because I know that y'all came here dressed and clothed and showered. That means you have a house. So if we can't afford this anymore, we'll just go to your house. Might take quite a few houses, but that's how they started in the, in the early church. I, listen, I'm not worried about running out of money. And this is not going to stop the church. I mean, where the gospel is growing right now, they don't have sanctuaries. They meet in hiding I got to go to a seminary where the people who were there were there to replace their pastor who had been murdered, okay? I'm not worried about running out of money, so don't, don't hear that part. But it has to be different. It has to be you. Every believer has to understand their own priesthood, their own duty, their own commissioning from Jesus, because you will grow this place. Let me, let me give you an example. I don't even know if he's in here. Colin Green, are you in here? He's probably out in the foyer. Is he in the foyer? Get that man in here. <laughs> I cracked the door. Look at him. There he is. There he is. Okay, you just stand in the back. I'm not going to put you on stage. You can hide back there. Colin, Colin, would, Colin I just, all I want you to do is a back handspring down the aisle. No, he, and he can do that, by the way. But I'm not going to embarrass him. But here's, here's what I want to show you, okay? I met Colin and uh, his wife uh, early on when we came here, and, and we became fast friends, and, and they have just been fantastic volunteers. And I just want to use him because I have permission to use him. Uh, I actually don't have permission. I just have enough bad stories on him that he knows my leverage is too great to say no. So if, if Colin and his, his wife, his family, if they invited you here, like they're the reason you, you came for the first time, like I'm here for Jesus. I know, but somebody invited you to this specific house of, of worship. Uh, would you raise your hand if him and his wife invited you specifically? Okay. All right. So we have quite a few hands. I want you to keep those up and I'm, I apologize for that. If you came here and you met their family and maybe they invited you over, maybe they did something with you and, and they're quite frankly not the reason, it's Jesus, I know, but they're one of the main reasons that you're still here. Would you raise your hand? Okay, good, good. Now, if you didn't know him, and some of you are like, I still don't know who that is, and that's good, that's a good, a good point, that's part of it too. If you didn't know this man until you came to this place, and now you know who he and his family are, would you raise your hand? Okay, awesome. Now, do you see the influence? You see how many people are here from one person. Whether they showed up here 
where they stayed here just because of one person. You are someone's link. You are uh, the only person who's going to speak into someone's life. Could someone else do it? Sure. Will they? No. We know it's not happening. I can show you the stats. It's, it, it, it's a mathematical improbability that someone is going to witness to, to invite someone to church, to love and to care for someone if you don't do it. I know that seems really weird because like the world's population is huge, right? But it's probably not going to happen if you don't do it. And so there's probably 20 people in here who are like, that's part of the reason I'm here. There was four or five people, I, I didn't count, who were like, I wouldn't be here otherwise. That's just one person. What's your influence? And we could track that. Now, I would ask this. Those of you who said, this person, and I'm going on a limb here because I don't know any of these results, okay? I could look like a total fool here, but I'm taking a shot in the dark. Those of you who said, I am here because he invited me. He or his wife invited me. Would you raise your hand again? And I know there's some out in the foyer as well. Now, do you see these hands? Let's just pick one. Let's pick James right here, okay? Did James invite any of you to church? Do we have any hands? I got hands here. Here, okay. Do you see what I'm saying? And so on and so forth. You say, that's just one person. Let me ask you. So far, how many people's lives have you changed? <laughs> like, wait, pastor, for better or for worse? No. <laughs> Into the kingdom of God. Would one not be an improvement for all of us? Would two not be like multiplication? Ministry has to get back into the hands of the people. I was going to leave this anonymous, but I'm going to throw out names. Uh, Coach Graham, uh, you, you started playing this morning. Uh, she was uh, teaching a health class and had me come into her uh, classroom on spiritual wellness. I, I sort of mentioned this last week. And uh, at the end, I got to speak about spirituality, and I kept things very vague. We didn't, we didn't cross any, any lines on, I wouldn't preach into the class or anything like that. We were just talking about how to be spiritually healthy and, and stuff like that, and I, I, I did. I kept, it, I kept it very vague. And I wrote my name and my number on the board and said, if you have any questions, you can call me. And a young man, uh, maybe watching today, I don't know, he's now in Florida. He was going to Ranger, uh, Ranger Junior College, and uh, he wrote my number down off of that board. And he began to come to a men's Bible study here, and this dude got on fire for the Lord. Well, he moved to Florida, and he trains horses there. So, oh, that's sad because ministry's over, right? No, because you learn how to ride a horse, and you get a major dose of Jesus. And he has people on a horse, and he teaches about the Lord, and he uses the arena to do that. And he started a Bible study in Florida. Why? Because Coach Graham was doing ministry at the college. Do you understand that I can't do that? You're not going to put that in the hands of a professional and that happen. 
You can go start a, a church down the road that has a better speaker and a better worship leader and a better all these things than the church that is on the other side of the street. And you may have a full house, but who do you have? God called us for souls. And so I don't want to babysit souls who are already going to heaven because I love people. So I want to meet people who aren't going to go and I want to love them and show them something better. If they don't accept it, still my friend. But I want to show them something better. But there's bad, there, there's bad juju around being a priest, right? I don't want to, I want to be called that. <laughs> my mom says that she used to give me a comb over back in the, well, whatever year I was born, it's none of your business. And... Uh, she would do a comb over and I'd mess up my hair and I'd say, don't you dress me like no preacher. And you have that too. I know because I see you run around the aisle in Walmart when I'm there. But there's a history behind being a minister. And I'm going to explain this for just a moment. After Moses gave the people what I was just explaining earlier where he told them that they were a kingdom of priests, a royal priesthood, after that, he went up on Mount Horeb, where Jerusalem now is, and he received the Ten Commandments, and God spoke to him for a long time. It took him a little while. He spoke with God for about 40 days. By the time he came down, the people had already given up on him, went to his brother, who was the first priest. In fact, in Israel, if you're going to be a priest, you have to be in the line of Aaron. Aaron was Moses' brother. You have to be in the line of Aaron because he was the first priest. They went to Aaron, the first priest, and said, we don't know where Moses is or if he's coming back. And he said, all right, everybody take off your gold and give it to me. And he throws it in the fire and out pops this golden calf. And they begin to dance around it and worship it. And we're like, thank you, golden calf, for bringing us out of slavery in Egypt. And Moses comes down and he's like, Aaron, you had one job. I was gone for 40 days. And Aaron was like, don't look at me. These people are rebellious. And he blows it. But he remains priest. And his sons are obviously in his lineage. And so when they, first they set up a, a tent because there was no uh, temple that was built. They were nomadic at this point. And they set up a tent. And, and Aaron's priests go and they start helping with the first sacrifice because they're, they're going to obey this law that God has given them. And his sons mess up the first sacrifice and God killed them. Straight up. Later on, there was a, a, a guy named Eli. His sons were using the priesthood to pick up chicks. They died. Later, uh, under King David, they were taking the Ark of the Covenant, which, is, which, which was the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit, and they were moving it. And there were all these things that they had to do, and, and somebody stumbled, and a guy went to catch the Ark. Don't do that. He dropped dead. There was this fear of being in the priesthood. Of course, now we don't deal with the Ark of the Covenant because we don't know where it is. But there's still like this, mm. <laughs> it's kind of an odd job. I'd rather do something different. And then specifically, 
God says that if you minister, he holds you to a higher standard. Why? Let me ask you. If you start a plumbing company and you hire some people and they're making house calls, do you care about how they act when they're on those house calls? Of course. Why? Because it reflects it reflects you. It reflects your business. God cares deeply about this priesthood. So I get it. If you're like, mm, I'll pass. For me, as a minister, if, if I walk into a restaurant, and, and you all are very gracious to me, but there are many who will tell you that I'm rude, that I don't like them, that, uh, that God did not call me to ranger and I'm a terrible person. I've never met them. But I walked in somewhere and I said hi to someone else and not them. And because I'm a minister, like they projected every insecurity they've ever had onto me. <laughs> like, I, I've never even met you. <laughs> I don't, at least give me a chance to be a jerk. <laughs> is we're held to a higher standard. We're held to a higher standard by God, held to an impossible standard by men. And I get it if you don't want to be that. There are days that I fantasize about having your job. I don't even know what you do. <laughs> there are days that I fantasize about it. Because there's critics for everything that you do, for everything that you say. Now what's your rebuttal to me? There's critics in your world too, isn't there? God has called you to be a priest. You are part of a royal priesthood and he's called you to something great and he's called you to something different and he's called you to be above and sometimes it's hard to rise to that because as soon as I do, somebody criticizes me. I've never even really been to church before but as soon as I began to go to church, somebody started, you've changed, you're just different. You just think you're better than everybody now. They told you that, didn't they? And no matter what you do, somebody's always trying to drag you down. I have bad news. It's going to turn out to be good news. You'll never get around that. The world has always been full of critics. There's the ones who criticize and there's the ones who do. The ones who do will always be criticized by the other ones. You notice that nobody who's like above you in the race criticizes you. Have you ever noticed that? <laughs> because they know what it's like to be criticized. I'm not saying it never happens, but I'm saying it's normally not what's happening. It's probably somebody in their pajamas while you're at work. I don't, and that, that sounds tacky too. I'm just saying they're not doing what you're doing. So of course they're going to badmouth. Of course they're going to bash. And you're never going to get around it. But you know why that's liberating to you? Because you might as well keep on going. Because there is no way around it. Well, I would like to just quit. Quit! They'll criticize that too. Well, I'm just going to change professions. Then they'll call you a quitter. <laughs> well, I'm just going to stop sharing my faith. I'm going to stop talking about people. Oh, somebody have something to say about that. You are not going to get around critics. Period. It doesn't happen to me just because I'm a minister. It happens to you too. That's just the world that we live in. And if you are a Christian, it will get progressively more so. Someone, 
Someone who, they, they, may, they may be a great person, they may have destroyed every life they've ever touched. But one time they put a sweater on their cat and took a picture of it, and now they're a moral authority. I don't know what, wh- where it comes from, but, but it's like, I'm, I'm better than you in every way, and you will always be criticized, so you might as well just worry about pleasing God, because you will never please every human. And if you are worried about pleasing God, then you will treat people right. You will be above reproach. And the Bible says that live in such a way that when they throw accusations at you, that they're humiliated. Your best offense is to live for Jesus. Your best defense is to live for Jesus. And then when they criticize, God's got your back. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 19. If you're a priest, if you're a believer, you're going to catch some fire. If you're not, probably not doing much. But this is, this is what the Word tells us. Everything is from God, who has reconciled us to Himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. He reconciled you, praise God, he pulled me out of where I was. He, he changed me, reconciled me into something completely different. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against us, and he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. He saved you and said, now go. Go do the same. Go be that catalyst for somebody else. Why God put the priesthood, priesthood in the hands of humans I don't understand. Seems like a flawed system. But he did. You are commissioned as a priest. But don't think about the priesthood like you've always thought about it. You don't, nobody, I'm not wearing a white collar up here, okay? You don't have to think about it that way. You have a platform. You get to love people. You get to serve God and pour out what the Holy Spirit is doing to you to somebody else. Starting in your own home, go to work, go to your friends. You are a priest. You're ministering to people. If you change two people at work, I wonder how many pastors have ever done that. I just told you the stats. We're preaching to people who are already saved. (laughs) You're doing more than the pros. Matthew 28, 18. Jesus came near and said to them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus says, all authority has been given to me. Don't worry about your critics. Don't worry about the people who are telling you that you've changed and, and, and you act like you're too good for them. And by the way, don't act like you're too good for people. We're not. Like the only reason we're a step up anywhere is because Jesus lifted us up. We didn't do it on our own. But don't let somebody try to leverage you down with that and pull you down. He says, I've got your back. All authority has been given on heaven and on earth because there are spiritual forces against you. There are earthly forces against you. I've got authority. Don't worry about it. I'm sending you. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Worship team, I want you to come up. 
Go make disciples. Now, think about the term disciple. I have four kids, and I didn't leave any of them at the hospital. It wasn't enough that they were just born. I wanted to take them home with me. And it takes a minute to raise them. My wife says she's still working on me. As you make disciples, which is what we're called to do, it's going to take a minute. Everybody wants to run out and save the whole world, but that's not your experience, is it? In fact, you're like, I'm still kind of on the journey (laughs) right now. You know, it takes an average of seven times to invite someone just to get them to church the first time. And do you know how long we have to set under teaching about the gospel? How long was it for you until you were like, you know what? I'm going to pursue God for myself. I'm going to start living for him. I'm going to start making right decisions. Years, wasn't it? Make disciples. Make disciples. Jesus said, train people up. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. Remember, I'm with you always to the end of the age. And you're like, I can't do it. I'm not a preacher. I won't go talk to mass amounts of people. I can't save the whole world. That weight is not on your shoulders. Listen to me. That weight is not on your shoulders. I had a friend starting a, a, a business and, and, and doing counseling and, and started giving out her number. And I said, don't give out your personal number have a work number but I want to be there for people and I love that and I love your heart but it's going to get overwhelming but I want to be there when they need me I said you are not the savior I would say the same thing to you you don't have to bear everyone's uh, problems you don't have to bear the weight of the world because you're not Jesus but we do bear a weight it's called the great commission to go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. I do bear that weight. And so I, I, I can't save the whole world, but I hope that you're losing a little bit of sleep over somebody at work that you love. I hope that you are being uh, proactive in training your children up in the gospel. As we bear the weight of the Great Commission, that part you do bear, it should be taken seriously. And you have a platform. You have authority. You know what, Pastor? I've already messed that up because I'm kind of a jerk at work. I kind of, you know, I just like rage consumes me and I just, uh, I, I have these problems with all these things. Yeah, okay, but guess what? When all those people who know you watch Jesus metamorphosize you into a follower of Christ, that'll be the best sermon you could ever preach in your life. You are a priest. God has commissioned you. And let me tell you, he said, all authority in heaven and on earth, in heaven and on earth, has been given to me. And so if you are burdened for somebody, this is what I want you to do. I want you to ask God to help you. My, my friend Bill Graham always said, I wake up every morning and ask God to give me a divine appointment. And I want you to begin to do that. All you got to do is carry your bat and say, God, when you put the ball on the tee, I'll whack it. Would you ask God to set you up with a divine appointment and would you carry out this priesthood? It, it, it doesn't have to look like me. It doesn't have to look like anything that you've seen. It, gotta, it, it needs to look like what the Holy Spirit is asking you to do. Extroverts, introverts, every one of you 
You are a priest and God has given you a platform. So use it. I want you to pray with me. Lord, we pray that you will be with us, that you will speak to us and through us. Forgive us our sins, God. God, I pray for your people that, uh, that they will pursue you. God, that you will give us divine appointments. God, that I pray that you will rock them, Lord, the one person that they, they love and think would never accept Jesus as Savior. God, would you, would you allow them to disciple that person? Would you help us to reach those who never thought could be reached, Lord? Not because we can do it, but because you can. And God, we love this city. We love all these people that you have uh, introduced us to and, and allowed us to live with and around, God. And we, we love them, so we want to be with them for eternity in heaven, God. We want them to know you. And we want to see your transformational work in their lives. So use us to that end for your glory. And we ask this in Jesus' name. The baskets are going to come forward, and part of the way that we worship is with our tithe and offering, but also, uh, uh, please fill out that connection card and let us know how we can pray for you, how we can help you, how we can walk with you through whatever you're going through, and we would love to do that. But even better, when service is over, the worship team will be up here. Uh, I'll be around. Come grab us. We'd love to chat with you, pray with you, but stand and worship with us, please. <laughs>